Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. It's Friday the 25th of October. Coming up, more arrests after 39 bodies found in lorry. We have heard local residents saying that they've seen activity, people coming out in the backs of lorries and trucks over the last few months, so it could have been a, a, quite a frequent occurrence. Vaccination targets for preschool children missed. The system for vaccination invitations and then recall after that isn't working well. It's not consistent across the country and it varies between GP practices. And mum with cystic fibrosis can now get life-saving drug. It's definitely going to um, give me years with my husband and my son, which is something that I had come to accept that... Um, you know, that wasn't going to be be available to me. Kent Online News. Two more arrests have been made by detectives investigating the deaths of 39 people found in a lorry container in Essex, not far from the Dartford crossing. The man and woman are both 38 and from Warrington. They've been questioned on suspicion of manslaughter and conspiracy to traffic people. Last night, some of the bodies were moved by private ambulance to a hospital where post-mortem examinations are starting to be carried out. We're told the container they were in arrived in Perfleet on a ferry from Zeebrugge in Belgium. Former Border Control Officer Chris Hobbs says this tragedy raises questions about border security. I think crime networks who are engaged in trafficking, smuggling of human beings will look for a weak spot. And when they find that weak spot, they will exploit it. They, They run their own intelligence systems, just like the police do and information and intelligence is fed back to them and they will act on it. And Perfleet really is one of the smaller ports. As far as I'm aware, a report in 2016 stated that Perfleet did not have a permanent border force presence. There simply isn't one there other than visits by mobile, what we call mobile units. Um, And that was commented on by the Chief Inspector of Border and Immigration, David Bolt. So it looks as if they've thought basically Perfleet was a soft option and and they went for it. And of course we don't know how many successful runs this particular crime network and others have made into Perfleet. We we have heard local residents saying that they've seen activity, people coming out the backs of lorries and trucks over the last few months. So it could have been quite a frequent occurrence, but of course this one has ended in absolute tragedy. As I said, back in 2016, there was a report that stated that Perfleet was not staffed by Border Force officers. Uh, As a number of smaller ports, uh, simply, there's not the resources to staff them. So I think as far as Perfleet are concerned, it's a smaller port. There's not any visible sign of any major law enforcement activity. And so it's an ideal opportunity for people smuggling or trafficking human beings to get their people into the UK without being noticed. Uh, And that really is is something that I think will be part of the police investigation into this whole tragic event. There are a number of devices now um, that will help detect whether containers or lorries actually have clandestine human beings hidden within them. That could be CO2 detectors, for example. It could be x-ray machines that can x-ray inside of the vehicle. Now they're banned in France, Um, they're not allowed to use them in France. And there's other various sophisticated detectors that are supposed to be able to pick out human beings, as I say, inside containers and trucks. One of which, interestingly enough, has been loaned 
or given to Zeebrugge um, by UK Border Force and by the Home Office. Now whether that was in op operation, whether that's in operation 24 hours a day, how that works, how successful it is, uh, I don't know. But there's certainly something there in Zeebrugge, a detection device that has been placed there by the Border Force, by the Home Office. And there also in Zeebrugge, there are a number of UK Border Force officers, but it is not a control, it's not a British passport control as we see in Calais for example. I think it's very, very difficult in busy ports to actually check every single lorry, every single container. Uh, and as I say, Zeebrugge isn't one where the British will have a huge amount of influence. They will obviously have some. So it really depends on how thorough the security arrangements are in Zeebrugge and, and what the detection equipment is. But it is very, very difficult. Zeebrugge is a busy port. So if you're going to check everything thoroughly, you would have a huge log jam of vehicles. It would become very, very difficult. Having said that, obviously, it's something the Belgian authorities will be looking very closely at. You know, how could they perhaps have prevented this tragedy? So I think there's going to be a major review of security at ports both here and in Belgium, uh, that will take place over the next few months. Meantime, two men have been arrested after eight migrants were found in the back of a van after abandoning a boat in Kent. It's understood the vessel was left in Sandgate near Folkestone on Wednesday morning before Essex police stopped the vehicle near Chelmsford. A 44-year-old from Colchester and one of the Iranian nationals in the van have been questioned by detectives. Kent Online reports. Police have cordoned off an alleyway in Maidstone following reports of a rape. It's said to have happened at around half seven last night as the victim, who's in his 20s, was walking between Brewer Street and Union Street. Officers are keen to speak to anyone with information. The health service has been told it's failing to hit key targets for vaccination rates among preschool children in Kent and Medway. The National Audit Office says the take-up goal of 95% has been missed for all seven jabs in the county. The report's author, Ashley McDougall, has been telling us why fewer parents are getting their children immunised. Well, there's no single cause for the decline, but there are lots of things that have been affecting the rates. Probably the first one is to go back to 2013. There was an NHS reorganisation, and the reorganisation affected and fragmented the vaccination programme. Now, the vaccination programme as you can imagine, has lots of organisations, people, parents, and it all has to work well. Once you change the system slightly, it affects how well systems can perform, and that's what happened in this one. So it, the system just became a bit more fragmented and not working as well as it could. The second one is much more direct. It's that people have to be invited to have their vaccinations for their children, and the system for vaccination invitations and then recall after that isn't working well. It's not consistent across the country and it varies between GP practices. Probably the third factor is parents have reported that they can't always get the appointments. So they need an appointment, they've got the letter, they knew they want to be vaccinated for their children and they can't get an appointment with the GP and that's where parents have reported having a problem. That was their main reported obstacle. Parents are overwhelmingly confident in vaccines. 95% of them, when Public Health England survey, say they have full confidence in the vaccines and the vaccination programme. So that's not the problem. The problem is a, one of them is a physical problem about getting the appointments with the GP practice. Now, it's often nurses 
So it's how a practice will decide how it sets up its vaccination service and what they offer, and that's where parents are reporting a problem. The problem with not reading, reaching the 95% vaccination target is that there are too many people who can be carriers of infection. So if you have 95% vaccination rates, that means that if someone gets measles or perhaps they've gone on holiday and brought it back, they won't be able to pass it on to other people because they will be vaccinated. If fewer people are vaccinated, they can pass it on to one person who then passes it on to another person and that's how it will spread through the country. So three years ago, in 2016, the World Health Organization said that the UK had measles elimination strategy. So that meant that measles were not passing from person to person to the next person. This year, 2019, the World Health Organization withdrew the measles elimination strategy because there were too many cases where measles is now being passed around the country in between people and continuing to be passed around the country and that's because not enough people are vaccinated they call it herd immunity so if you have enough people vaccinated it stops infectious diseases spreading. The Department for Health say they're taking urgent action to reverse the recent decline. Kent Online News. At kentonline.co.uk, you can see the moment a motorcyclist came within inches of being hit by a high-speed train near Gravesend. The near miss happened as he was riding illegally over the Shawnmead pedestrian crossing last weekend. A man suffered burns in a garage fire on the Isle of Sheppey. He had to be given oxygen after the blaze broke out in Waverley Avenue in Minster just before seven last night. It's not known yet how the fire started. A Kent mum's been told she can now access a life-saving drug on the NHS. Carly Pleasant has cystic fibrosis and has been battling for the past four years to be able to get Orcambi. The health service has now reached a deal with a pharmaceutical company to provide the medicine. The 29-year-old from Sittingbourne got a phone call from Health Secretary Matt Hancock. He telephoned me personally um, and broke me the news, which was absolutely... um, you know, one of the most shocking phone calls I've ever received in my life. Um, but at the same time, it was, yeah, it was a moment of absolute elation for me. I, I can't really express how much it means to me because um, it's quite literally a lifeline. So it's been a brilliant day. He just said that kind of after my meeting with him in July, he he wanted to personally intervene, which of course he has. And um, it's all moved quite quickly in the, in the last few months, considering as to where we were, it was a complete and utter deadlock so yeah he he's been able to secure that deal with vertex it wasn't an easy one um from all accounts but it does now mean within the next 30 days that um people with cystic fibrosis will be able to have access to the to the life-saving medicines we've um, been campaigning for the last four years that's when the drug was licensed um, and in that time talks have drastically broken down between vertex um, and nhs a number of times so there's definitely been points when we thought that um it wasn't going to happen so so yeah it's been four years four years coming and in that time i've obviously lost lung function um but away from kind of my personal situation people have actually died from cf unnecessarily so it's um it's been a hard, hard few years. Me and my husband have a two-year-old son. Um, I've had, in, I mean, in the last four years, I've had numerous lung infections which have caused my lung function to drop, um, and I haven't been able to kind of regain that lung function. 
Um, so I've spent multiple times in hospital. I'm currently on around 75 tablets a day um, just to kind of stabilise me on a day-to-day basis. And then I use nebulizers and physio and a lot goes into every day to try and maintain my health. So this is um, a very welcomed, very welcomed piece of news. On a day-to-day basis, it's obviously going to improve my quality of life. Um, I mean, currently I wake up and I spend easily the first hour coughing and, you know, feeling pretty unpleasant and pretty unwell. <coughs> um, this is going to kind of change now. It's the first medicine that will treat my causes of CF and not just my symptoms. So it's going to change in uh, change the way my body works. So it's... Um, it might, it might be a little bit tough to start with, but definitely something that I'm more than happy to put up with, considering that it's definitely going to um, give me years with my husband and my son, which is something that I had come to accept that, um, you know, that wasn't going to be, be available to me. Kent Online reports. It's thought a crash in Sittingbourne could have been caused by people throwing eggs at a lorry. It collided with a van near Morrison's in Millway on Wednesday night. Police are keen to speak to anyone who might have information about what happened. The new leader of the county council has been telling us about his plans for Kent. Roger Goff now has the main role at County Hall in Maidstone, taking over from Paul Carter, who decided to step down after 14 years. He's been chatting to Keelan ahead of his first meeting of his cabinet on Monday. I think one of the big things is to get a good sense of quality of life for people in Kent. So that one of the issues I think we've had in recent years is that Kent has taken on board a great deal of housing. Uh, There's been rapid growth in that with often not the sense that the infrastructure has been able to keep up with that. So it's very important that we both work with the district councils, who are, after all, the planning authorities, and also uh, put a great deal of pressure on national government uh, to put in the investment where that's required. So it's for all of us to get that right. Secondly, I think we need to put a big emphasis on the visible services. The county council does a lot of very important services which aren't so widely seen because they provide for the needs of a relatively small number of people. But we also have responsibilities across highways, the work of our community wardens out in uh, parts of the county, uh, a whole range of country parks, a whole range of activities that are actually much more visible. And I want us to see see us um, stepping up the pace on that, particularly now that we've had a slightly more favourable financial settlement from, from, from government, albeit only for a year. And you mentioned housing right at the top, though, which is mm. one of the big talking points in the county at the moment. We've done plenty of stories where there's been plans put forward and then people mm. are protesting, saying you can't build here because it's a green space, for mm. example. How do you go about pleasing everyone whilst trying to meet the targets? Well, firstly, I don't think you can please everyone. That's, I'm afraid, just one of the realities. But secondly, clearly the decisions on housing rest very much with the district councils. They are the planning authorities. Uh, they will have to uh, make many of those judgments. Where we come in is that we are uh, one of the major providers and uh, uh, supporters of infrastructure. Uh, As I say, very often we found a situation where the widespread sense, I think, of people in Kent has been not only are we getting the housing, we're not getting the infrastructure that's going with it. So what we've looked to do, and this started actually before my time taking over as leader, but it's it's a big priority, is working with those district councils to ensure that we get the right balance on that and actually put in the bids to government as well because in some cases there are funding gaps there that certainly under the present system government's going to have to meet. 
And upon leaving, Paul Carter mentioned climate change is one of mm. the big problems which you'll have to encounter now. We've seen protests even outside County Hall. How much do you think climate change is a problem at the moment and what will you look to do to, to tackle it? Well, it's a major issue for us because uh, we have a clear set of uh, responsibilities in that area. We've committed to both working towards the county as a whole, so not just KCC's services, but the county as a whole being um, uh, zero carbon by 2050. But we have also talked about bringing forward the bit that relates to our own estate. Now, we've already done a number of activities, for example, LED lighting, which have had a big impact in terms of reducing uh, the uh, uh, energy use, uh, reducing emissions. We've actually got quite a proud record in that. But what we've said is we'll be bringing back next spring uh, a much more detailed plan as to how we're going to take that forward, how we're going to accelerate it. I think what we also need to be looking at is not just the steps taken to uh, reduce our impact in terms of carbon. It's also about mitigation because we know that those changes, those pressures are already coming. Uh, flood risk, for example, is a big issue. Uh, there are a number of areas on that that we need to do more. And just a quick word from you, Fine, as well, on the news we've been speaking about this evening. Boris Johnson saying he wants a, a general election in, in December. What would be your reaction to that? Uh, I think there's a very widespread sense that uh, a general election is, uh, is, is due, is coming very, very soon. Uh, the timing of that ultimately we will have to see. But I think uh, what we need in Kent, uh, because we are clearly in the front line as far as Brexit preparation is concerned, is some degree of clarity as to where we are heading. We've actually done an enormous amount of preparation uh, in that. Uh, and I think we, we were well placed even for March, when that was originally the deadline and we were marched up the hill and down again, uh, clearly now we've had the same for October. But uh, in any case, we believe that we are quite well prepared, but we need some clarity so that we and the partners we work with can make sure that we are as well prepared as we can be come any change in our status. Kent Online News. A burglar's been jailed for more than three years after he was caught on CCTV at break-ins and thefts across West Kent. The 30-year-old admitted stealing cars from properties in Maidstone and West Farley, as well as leaving two petrol stations without paying. He also shoplifted £800 worth of clothes from a department store in the Angel Centre in Tunbridge. A decision on controversial plans for 440 new homes in a village near Maidstone has been deferred. There have been more than 400 objections to the proposed development in Autumn, which residents say will lead to huge traffic problems and have an impact on nearby ancient woodland. Protesters gathered outside a meeting last night. Kieran spoke to David Hatcher, who's chair of the Chapman Avenue Residents Association. Well, certainly on behalf of the residents, both at Chapman Avenue area, where I represent, but also in Downswood, Autumn and generally in the surrounding area, we're appalled at the fact that the council have put this through and are planning to put more homes on what is already a congested traffic site. Church Road, where they're planning to build the homes, is a narrow lane that can't handle that degree of traffic. And when you add into the equation heavy goods vehicles and everything else, it's an abs absolute travesty. It means that the already existing over-congested Willington Street will be just come bit worse than it already is and the plan that they're proposing is to put in traffic lights at Deeringwood Drive and Willington Street and that will just gum things up even further as we've seen with the traffic lights at Maginford Road. That's just the traffic side of things. For once in their life KCC highways are objecting 
to the existence of this plan, but it seems Maidstone Council are looking to ignore it, which is a travesty from a point of view of safety and congestion. Uh, Do you think Maidstone Council put themselves in a bit of a corner here because I think this is one of the sites they've allocated as as, as potential for housing development and so perhaps they're concerned that if they retract that it sort of throws up the whole local plan that they put in place really? I don't think it necessarily throws up the local plan. Although the planning inspector has approved the local plan and included this site in it, my belief is that he approved that on the basis that he thought the problems that might ensue from building on that site could be overcome. Clearly we've seen from the documents of the consultants employed by the developers the problems are too great to overcome and that's why KCC highways are objecting on grounds of congestion and safety. It's why Historic England were objecting to building on the site because of the damage that it would cause to the landscape around Autumn Church but they seemingly have now reneged on the basis that they've been offered a, a, a little tract of land for car parking which to me sounds like a buy-off and I think it's an absolute crime that their moral if you like their moral position on trying to protect our landscape has been bought off by the promise of a car park around an ancient building. Is, is there any particular justification from the council side that you think could merit them saying, look, we need more homes, we need to use this site? You know, is there any justification in your mind? Of course we need more homes. Nobody's arguing the fact that people need homes to live in. We're saying that this isn't the right place to build it. You don't build homes where there is not already competent infrastructure that can handle the thousand plus people that will be living there. Already the area is overwhelmed from the point of view of local doctors, from dentists, from education. All the, all the amenities that people require are overwhelmed in the Maidstone area generally, but in that area particularly. And although they may be extracting money per household to go towards the building of new infrastructure, it's not going to meet the requirement by any means. And as for the traffic that's going to be snarled up even worse because of the 440 homes disgorging their occupants at at peak times, it's not fair that the people of Maidstone should have their lives spent sitting in traffic jams to the extent that they already are made even worse. How many people do you think are turning up tonight from your perspective in terms of residents? Do you know how many are coming coming to Mesa Town Hall? No, we don't have a clue. Um, Clearly I know the residents that I represent in the Chapman Avenue area are all against it, uh, but they're relying on us to come and fly the flag on their behalf and that's why we're here to do just that, to make the planners realise that actually we're not going to be run roughshod over in the way that they clearly presume that we can be if you look at the report they've presented to the planning committee. It has paid scant regard to the warnings of organisations like KCC Highways that are for once in their life on grounds of danger and congestion saying this is wrong. At the meeting it was decided the panel will vote on an updated application at a later date. Councillor Clive English who's chairman of Maidstone Council Planning Committee told Kieran why they chose to defer it. Well there's a lot of unanswered questions we may still approve the application and we may turn it down but at this this stage we simply do not have enough information on certain things like uh, the ancient woodland and highways issues very local highways issues not the strategic ones 
And there are many things we think we potentially could improve, such as the setting of the heritage asset, uh, the Grade One listed church, um, biodiversity, and so on. Um, so we, what we want to do is make an informed decision, having looked at whether or not we can improve this plan sufficiently to go ahead with it, or whether we we cannot. In which case, we will refuse it. And to put it in a bit of context, this is a site that is in Maystone Council's local plan. Um, so, in essence, the government has said that this is a site that can be used to build houses. And you made a point in the meeting of saying that this application cannot be rejected on the principle of saying that it's not fit for purpose. No, we can't reject um, the concept of having 440 houses here. What we could reject, in theory, is this particular application because the design isn't good enough or the open space isn't good enough, etc., etc. So they would then go away and have to, they'd have to come back with a different application. Yeah, and in terms of things that you're now looking for, to be clear to people, in, in this deferral, there are a couple of key aspects that you want to see resolved and looked at. Perhaps just explain a couple of those, please. Well, first of all, we've, we've got a Grade 1 listed church. We weren't happy with the proposal to put an enormous tarmac car park in front of a, a Grade 1 listed heritage asset. We don't want to see any more ancient woodland lost, and in fact we think we can put a lot more ancient woodland back on the site. We um, aren't happy at this stage with the highway mitigation. Um, then it, we are going to try and see if we can get substantial highway improvements in the local area um, and so on. Um, there's also the issue of sustainable energy. Um, there's not much on it at the moment. We need to do something about that. And we also want to see if we can actually use the drainage of the site, to a sustainable urban drainage it's called, to actually enhance the ecology and look at the site as well as providing us a, a um, efficient car low-carbon uh, drainage system. Yeah, and in terms of tonight, there are a number of residents who came to observe and look at the meeting as well. Clearly, this is a, a topic that's of overwhelming public interest, and, and that was taken into consideration in your argument as well. Well, it was. I mean, I think it's what we have to do, whichever decision we make, we have to make it as transparent as possible so people can see us doing it in public. So the deferral enables us to actually... Um, make our decisions in public rather than delegating them to the officers. It's not that we don't trust the officers, they do a mar marvellous job, but we want this particularly very important application to be considered at every stage in public so that everyone can see whatever decision we reach, why we've made the decision and what factors were taken into account. And just finally, when is it likely to come back? It's quite hard to tell, actually, because um, negotiations on this can sort of thing can take a while, especially if they're going well, strangely enough, because that means that you, you, you actually get into a lot of level of detail, and I think there is a lot of level of detail we need to get into the, with this application. So it could be some... It could be anything between a few weeks and, and a few months. But if, at the end of the day, if we get this application right, it would be in the interest of the people, the public, 
and potentially the developer and the people who may or may not be moving into these houses. Kent Online reports. A bench designed to get people sitting down and having a chat is going to be doing a tour of Medway to reduce loneliness and social isolation. The chatty bench has been made by the Men in Sheds project, which supports over 25s who aren't in work or have retired. It will start its tour at Chatham Library on Monday. An animal charity that was founded over 150 years ago is celebrating its 20th anniversary of having a branch here in Kent. Battersea opened the doors to its site at Brands Hatch in October 1999. They've rescued and rehomed thousands of animals over the past two decades. Centre manager Anna Hemmings told us more about the work they do. Generally, Battersea at Brands Hatch, we have um, around about 40 dogs and 20 cats at any one time in the centre. And we will have around about five or six dogs brought into us each week. Uh, we take in a combination of uh, animals that are either brought in by members of the public who are, uh, can no longer care for them, or um, we also take in stray animals as well. Every animal um, at Brands Hatch is taken through uh, both a medical and a behaviour assessment um, so that we can make sure that they're fit and healthy um, and then from a behaviour point of view to identify um, if they're going to have any particular needs in terms of their suitability for a new home um, and perhaps anything that we might need to work on to help them um, before they're ready for rehoming. Um, so it might be that some dogs um, need some help with learning how to cope with being left on their own um, or um, perhaps behaviour. Some, some of them may never have been walked on a lead before um, so quite often that's something that we need to um, get them used to and, and get them ready um, for a new home. Um, and cats at the same time we also have to um, work out what they, they're going to need from a new home. We do have some that are perhaps more worried or noise sensitive or, or frightened um, of certain environments. Um, and then perhaps other cats who are bold and confident and friendly and like to be around people for a lot of the day. Um, so those sorts of things help us to understand the animal and then find the right home that's going to be the right match for them. And the average length of stay for a dog with us at Brands Hatch is 52 days or, and just 25 days for a cat. So um, the specialist team of staff here are, are very, very good and experienced at being able to identify uh, the needs of each individual animal. Um, and we quickly get to work with um, taking them through uh, the process once they've had time to settle in and get to know um, the, the staff that will be caring for them. Um, we're very, uh, very good at being able to take them through that process as quickly as possible because our, our aim is always to get them into a loving new home as quickly as possible. So I'd always encourage people to um, do a little bit of research if they can beforehand into um, uh, dogs and, or cats, whatever it might be, um, in term to, so that they're familiar as best as possible with regards to the responsibilities involved with owning and caring for a cat or a dog. Um, they can also go to our website, which has a, a wealth of information all about dog and cat ownership and answers some of the common uh, frequently asked questions about how to adopt from Battersea. Uh, there's also a link on there that people can um, follow to uh, begin their, their registration process to register to rehome from us. Kent Online News. If you live in Margate, you're getting the chance to have your say on how government funding should be spent. It's one of 100 places getting a share of £3.6 billion for improvement work. Anyone with ideas can tweet them using the hashtag MyTown. A Medway family are celebrating the safe arrival of a litter of Labrador puppies, which was slightly bigger than they'd expected. The Barrett 
Roberts from All Hallows had been told their dog was likely to have six pups. She ended up having 13. You can see pictures of them at kentonline.co.uk. Kent Online Showbiz. James Arthur's been chatting to KMFM as his latest album goes to number one. You is his third record and has been released almost exactly seven years after he won The X Factor. He spoke to Emma Joe on the hit list last night. Now, obviously, massive congratulations on your new album. It's called You. Uh, So many wicked tracks on it. Obviously, you've collaborated with loads of people. It must have been pretty amazing to work with all these huge names. Yeah, and and they're um, they're people that were very influential on me in my, you know, kind of growing up. Um, I came from being in rock bands and stuff, so to have someone like Travis Barker from Blink-182 playing drums on one of my records and having Adam Lazara from arguably my favourite band, Taking Back Sunday, like that kind of emo rock thing that I, you know, that I love. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been a dream. And Shotty Horror, probably my, my you know, he's a, an amazing MC. He should be world famous for it. He's so good. Uh, and Ty Dolla Sign as well, global megastar. I've got really cool collaborations on the record and people I genuinely love to listen to. That's so important, I think, that you actually yeah. really, really like their music as well because sometimes yeah. it can be a bit weird if you're like paired up with someone and you're like, oh, yeah. don't quite know if this is going to work sort of thing. Yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit, um, you know, unorganic, if that's a word. Uh, <laughs> Inventing words, <laughs> yeah, it's all fine. <laughs> it, should be, it should be a word. Um, but yeah, no, um, yeah, sometimes things are kind of um, imposed on you, like, oh, we've got this for this record, but I kind of, I got who I wanted and that was great. Oh, that's so good. What's yeah. your personal favourite track on the album? Um... I think there's a song called Homicide Love, um, which I wrote. I, it was probably the last song I wrote for the record. I just felt like it would be lovely to to have a song, a couple of songs on there that that were like that harked back to me as like a 16 year old kid when I didn't have any rules and like, um, yeah. I feel like I'm I maybe I haven't I haven't been as raw as 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 I could have been. I think a part of the one of the things that people liked about me when I was on X Factor is that I was kind of raw and I, di- I didn't you know. I never overthought anything. I was just kind of doing my thing and expressing myself. And, um, you know, the last couple of albums I've made, I've maybe watered things down a little a, a little bit. And I, and I, and I definitely wasn't going to do this on this record. I, was, I had a concept and, and it was going to be uh, raw and it was going to be, you know, more authentically me. If you missed it, you can hear the chat at kmfm.co.uk. Kent Online Sport. Football and Gillingham are travelling north again this weekend as they make the 270-mile journey to Accrington Stanley. There was disappointment earlier in the week when they drew one all away at Shrewsbury Town. That result left the Jills in 17th place in League One, with tomorrow's opponents one point below them. Defender Alfie Jones told us how the team are feeling ahead of tomorrow's match. Obviously off the back of Shrewsbury, we want to get a win. Um, we felt like we deserved more, so this Saturday, is a chance to sort of get the three points and start pushing up the table. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge there. I think they're a point behind us in the table, so they're going to want to pick up all the points and, and we're going to want to pick up the three points as well. So it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a battle up there, um, especially with their crowd. So uh, we're going to look to impose our game and, and um, I think we have the quality to beat them. Yeah, I think it's massive. It gives you that confidence to go on as well into the next, next few games. So um, I think if we can pick up that points, uh, the three points there would be a massive confidence boost for us. At the moment, it's all good. Um, the morale is high. I think there's a little bit of frustration as well because of of the position we're in, and and we all know we can be higher in in the table. So, but all in all, the performances have have been good recently. Um, bar sort of Oxford, but after that, our performances have been strong for 90 minutes, and that's what we look to do. So now it's just getting the the final cut and edge to get the three points. 
we need that just run of games. I think you see teams do it in, in the league when they have uh, like back-to-back wins and they go on a run, then they push up the table. Um, I think that's what we need now. So we definitely have the ability to do that in the change room. So confident from our side and we just need to get that the, the games right and get the points on the board. Gillingham have now gone three games without a win, but manager Steve Evans isn't too worried about their overall performances. For us, it's not been the same players that's making the mistakes. It's been a combination of different players. But it's perhaps why you played at Gillingham and not Ipswich or Sunderland and Peterborough. You're not playing the top teams because you make more mistakes than what players do at those teams. But you have to just work with them. I don't think there's ever been a manager that could that's been born yet that can live inside players' heads because if he did it would be a different game and it would help them make less errors. But um, no, we just work with the the guys. We've got a small group, we've got a good group, we've got a positive group and we'll take it forward to Saturday. And staying with football, Dover's game in the first round of the FA Cup is going to be shown live on TV. They'll welcome League One Southend United to Crabble on Sunday the 10th of November for a midday kickoff. Former England defender Sol Campbell has just taken over as manager of the opposition, who are currently 22nd in the table. That's it for now, but for more news throughout the day, you can head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.